Hey, this is Jim. Welcome back to Silent Sales Machine Radio. And today I've actually got a guest with us, as uh, we always love doing around here. You guys like these episodes where you don't just have to listen to me. Uh, <laughs> I'm Jordan, man, with Hickory Flats. He's a good friend of our community. He's got a great success story, beautiful family, and doing this for all the right reasons. We just uh, love hanging out with people who kind of see the world the way we do as, as partners and always turns into something incredible. And I guess I have to tell you today, listener, you know, Tim and I didn't do a whole lot of show prep today. We just know that he's doing some cool projects. We're doing some <laughs> projects. We're doing some fun stuff together. And we're just going to share some stories and, and we'll figure out the description after the episode. Like, I don't know where <laughs> we're going to go today. Uh, but he's just a guy who's been around. He's seen it. He's done it. He's failed multiple times. He's succeeded multiple times, built a reputation for himself. And uh, he's, he's got a heart also for a country that's near and dear to my wife and I's heart, which is Guatemala. We've got a little girl from there and they've been there several times, planning on going back soon. I'm sure we'll hear a little bit of that too uh, as part of their business building mission. You know, he's another one of these guys, before I turn the microphone over, he sees his business as a mission. It's bigger than him. It's, it's, a way, it's the way he serves others. And we just love working with people like that. Uh, so Tim, welcome to Silent Sales Machine Radio. Listeners, just as a reminder, before one more last announcement, you can always see these episodes on YouTube too. So if you want to see Tim's face, you want to see us interacting, <laughs> a couple little windows on the screen. And, or if you just want to listen, that's cool too. And the show notes, depending on where you're at, you can get all the details. Go to silentgym.com if you're listening and you can see the YouTube link. And if you're on YouTube, hey, sit back and enjoy. We're glad you're here with us today. But Tim, welcome. Well, thank you. And I will say if you're on YouTube, I'm sorry, because I was always told that I had a better face for radio. <laughs> I hear that a lot <laughs> myself, man. <laughs> but yeah, thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's always a pleasure to share some of the stories, even some of the bad stories, because if I can help people by explaining some of the pain points that I've had and some of the dumb mistakes I've made uh, and help them succeed in their business or their journey or their life, that's always kind of valuable to me to be able to give that back. So. Absolutely. You know, I, hey man, you started the ball in that direction. So I'm just going to hit you with like out of the blue questions based on what you just said. All right. Like I go through in the silent sales machine book and I give actually a list of all the reasons why I'm underqualified to be a business success. All the excuses, I, any one of which I could rely on and people wouldn't say, oh, you know, no, you need to overcome that one. It's like, there's some good excuses. Like, no, okay, I can see where you kind of failed in life, Jim. I can see that. That's a good reason right there, man. I've got a list of them. We all do. Yep. And I failed many times too. So, you know, before we start talking about all your successes, you know, what have you tried and failed at? I'm curious. Like, what are some of the... Oh, man. Fell flat. College. Failed flat at college, which... <laughs> Me too. Uh, you know, a, lot of, a lot of people don't see college as a business move, but that, that's why we go to college. We go to fulfill that you know, that um, kind of assumption that a degree equals higher pay and better quality of life, which for some people it does, but it doesn't for everybody. It certainly didn't for me. So I spent four years at college and walked away with like 80 grand in student debt and really learned more in the next year and a half after college than I did those four years. So um, I'm not discouraging people from getting furthering education, but when you, when you talk about my story, my life, and some of those bad decisions I made, uh, for me personally, college was one of them. I never should have done that. I should have just jumped straight into this entrepreneurship uh, lifestyle that I'm living now. Yeah. You know, and I've never actually gone on a full rant. I've kind of kept my cards close to my chest a lot on this topic because it can be misinterpreted easily. You know, it can. There's, a, there's a place for colleges. But, you know, I like to ask the hard questions when it comes to college. Questions like, yeah. what exactly are you getting there that you couldn't sit down behind your computer and get for free? Yep. Especially in business now. <laughs> Come on. I mean, you know, and even some of the big universities now are putting their stuff, trying to compete. So putting their stuff for free, like you can sit in on lectures. Yep. Like, come on, why, why go a hundred thousand dollars into debt again? Someone remind me, oh, so you can get your degree because people with degrees yep. make more money. I'm like, come on, you know, that's, that's circular reasoning. If the information is truly valuable, I should be able to go out in the real world and do something with it. And one thing yeah, I will say is if, if my kid ever pursues a degree with something that ends in the word studies, I'm not paying a dime for it. <laughs> <laughs> Historical studies. Now, it, it's kind of odd in my household because my wife currently has three degrees and she's working on her doctorate right now. To uh, It's a doctorate level degree to become a nurse practitioner. So we need them, man. God bless her. Yeah, there are some people that have to have this for me. It was yeah. not a good move. And my so, wife graduated top of her class too. And she's proud of her degree and I'm proud of her for it. Yep. Uh, so so you know. other business mistakes I've made, trusting myself too much, 
not putting enough faith in partners. And my first business uh, venture, my first actual company was construction company. And I was really good at sales. I was really good at design. I was actually really good at construction itself. We did really high-end masonry and some things like that. And uh, as we grew to where I couldn't do everything myself, I was really bad at managing. And I was bad at setting up a business that couldn't scale quickly, that couldn't be outsourced easily to you know, non-skilled uh, labor. And I had all these people that would come to me and say, hey, Tim, you're great at sales. You're great at you know, design. Let me partner with you. And I was too stinking stubborn. And I was too proud. And I was too arrogant. Hey, I'm the 22-year-old guy with 25 employees. Like I'm doing it. I don't need anybody's help. And that business was a raging failure. It went on for like five years and I never made a dime. All I did was just work harder and work harder and more hours and more stress. And uh, gosh, five years, five years trying to build that business and eventually just liquidated it at just to complete break even. So worked five years for free. You know, I'm going to pull little lessons out of what your commentary and I'm liking this. I'm liking the direction we went today. I think people are going to enjoy this for sure. But you know, I had a man I respect and admire greatly once say, and I've heard it other places too since, that one of the best ways you can, if you really want to know a guy, there's a handful of ways. I love these things like, okay, who's the person hang out with, right? You can learn a lot about them. How do they spend their money? Not that you're going to dig into people, but if you know how someone spends their money, you know a lot about that person. Here's yeah. another one. If I know that a guy has run a business successfully for an extended period, guy, it's male, female. When I say guy, it's generic. For an extended period of time, I know a lot about that person. Anyone, not well, not anyone can run a business for five years. I mean, that's a, that's an accomplishment, but it eventually failed. You learned your lessons. You were young, but people who take a stab at business, I love them. People who take a stab at business and it continues over five, eight, ten. <laughs> I know that journey, man. It is not an easy journey. Those are my buds, man. I can hang with those people. I don't care what the business is. I don't care how old they are or young they are. If they're running a profitable business for an extended period of time, man, I can hang with those people 100% of the time. They're good, genuine, giving, caring. They know how to serve. They know how to build a team. They know how to work on themselves because your business won't outlast your ability to grow <laughs> and lead, right? Yep. So I, I love the direction we're going here, man. That's a, that's a great failure, man. 25 employees at the age of 22. I'm guessing you had some people working for you that were older than you that thought you were a total punk. Am I right? <laughs> yeah, I would say that most of them were older than me. But let me tell you an interesting thing about a service-based, like a local service-based business like that. The big problem isn't the employees. It's the number of tires. And anybody that's been in that industry is like, oh, yes, Tim, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. We had so many trucks and trailers and pieces of equipment that I had at one point like 186 tires that I was responsible for. And I use that as an analogy just for the amount of overhead that we had. Yes. It was ridiculous. I had bobcats and tractors and big trucks and trailers and small trucks and mowers and everything you can imagine. And the maintenance I, and the, the gas prices are yeah, affecting every that, decision. It, yeah, it was awful. And add that to the type of employees that I was having to hire, which is just blue collar labor that mm -hmm. um, a lot of them, at least in my area are not very responsible, kind of a tough labor force here. Yeah. And all of that, you know, led to kind of the decline of this business, but it taught me a lot of valuable things. One being you need a scalable business and you need a business that is not just trading man hours for dollars. Okay. And that's what a construction business is. When I do a quote, I figure out labor and materials. My labors is it'll take 36 man hours at $55 a man hour. Great. And you're trading that. But then you're relying on other people too much. You're relying on those employees' man hours. And you're relying on that, you know, truck engine not to blow up on the interstate on the way to that job site and this tire not to go flat and it to rain. And, you know, yeah. it was it was bad. And it taught me a lot of tough lessons, which yeah. led me to where I'm at now. And if Earl's having trouble at home with the wife, he doesn't show up, man. And next thing you know, he's quitting because his, you know, whatever. You mean like this employee yep. issues and yeah, it's been and a long time even, since I've had to process business that way. But man, that's the way most people have to do what they have to deal with with business. And we were having a leadership meeting here with Hickory Flats maybe yesterday, the day before. And that's one thing that we kept stressing is we can't be trading time for hours. So even mm -hmm. though that was construction and we're talking more about, you know, other service-based businesses, we can't do that. And I think that those lessons are what ultimately led me to become very intrigued by the idea of e-commerce, that working 24 hours a day for you, you've always got a sales machine turned on. I think, I think that I should coin the phrase a silent sales machine. You guys trademarked yet? <laughs> That'd be a good book, man. Someone should write that book. <laughs> yeah, someone should write that book. And then also, you know, I wasn't just trading 
you know, hours for dollars, man hours for dollars, I was actually selling physical products. Yeah, something that grows. And I've been doing it for 16 years. So sometimes I forget the most basic lessons of what got me so excited about this business. And I had my failures. We can go into them another time, but all kinds of like, I'll just, I'll mention one, dude, I was tearing it up. So I thought with a multi-level network pager company, (laughs) (laughs) I was all old school. (laughs) I was on my, uh, what was the, I had some old internet connection and it was dial up and I was sending out invitations and, and people were signing up and I was building this downline and I was putting, building up all this virtual currency that was going to turn into real money eventually. And the company just shut its doors one day. And I mean, I had put in so much work to that model. So I mean, my, my failures, my, my list of failures are, are just long, long, long. The stuff that drove me to the beauty of this e-commerce model where I feel like I'm just kind of, you know, every day my work is like I'm pushing this snowball it never gets harder to push, really. I'm giving it about the same amount of effort, but it's getting bigger as I roll it. And sometimes yep. we'll hit a little uphill and you got to push a little harder, but most of the time it's either flat or slightly downhill. And it's kind of fun and it's just getting bigger. And so let me, let, me give you, let me give you the real quick story um, to finish answering your question of how I got into e-commerce. And I can tell you yeah. some of those big mistakes I made in e-commerce. That's all right. Good going, dude. I love it. So while I had that construction business, the reason I was able to succeed and uh, pay my my mortgage basically is I was also a full-time firefighter and paramedic here in the city that I live in. So the way that our schedule would work is we would work 24 hours on shift and 48 hours off. So we were on one day off for two days. We slept at the fire station for that 24 hour shift. We were there for, for an entire 24 hour cycle. Mm-hmm. And that left, you know, four to five days off a week. So all firefighters had side hustles. I just got in construction. I got into it really, really big. Right. Uh, the days that I was on shift, if, we weren't out checking equipment or we weren't on a, an emergency call somewhere. I'd be in my back bedroom on my computer, drawing up designs and doing bids and doing my accounting. So I was working, um, you know, two full, more than two full-time jobs essentially. And when that company shut down, I thought that's fine. I'm never doing this. I'm going to spend years here, get my, uh, my retirement, my pension. And that didn't last because at heart I'm an entrepreneur. You know, I started my entrepreneurship journey started when I was like eight years old. This is a funny story. My dad took me to Sam's Club and bought me a big box of the king size candy bars, you know, Reese's and Kit Kats and Hershey's. And you could buy them for like 40 cents for a big one. But the band at the school had a fundraiser where they would sell them for a dollar. So I just told all of my teachers that I was in the band and I got one of those used white boxes, the fundraiser box. And we go to Sam's and load up this box <laughs> and I walk around selling them. And finally, like the band director of the middle school pulls me aside and says, Tim, I've seen you carry that box for like eight months. We haven't had one of those fundraisers in like <laughs> 10 months. And I made a ton of money. So That's anyways, hustle the system. But that entrepreneur, that entrepreneurial bone was still stuck in me. And what I did is I uh, ended up being contacted by a buddy who was starting a company that was doing procurement and logi- That's Procurement's a fancy word for sourcing, but procurement mm-hmm. and logistics for the State Department, okay, the U.S. State Department. And I said, sure, I'll do that. So I jumped in with them and was exceptionally good at it. And we were selling stuff to the U.S. State Department like crazy. We were doing multi-million dollar deals. And I was the sourcing agent, the logistics supervisor, and basically sales rep for the State Department. And that got me involved with international business. So I started going to China and I'm doing business there. And I've been to several other countries, uh, some Middle Eastern countries, and was really having kind of a good time at it. And this crazy thing happened. So we were one of the largest sellers in the world of oil filters for diesel engines. Okay. Okay. So think of all of these, you know, consulate bases and military bases all over the globe that need a reliable power supply. They run on diesel generators and we were supplying the filters and, you know, the maintenance materials for those generators. And I'm looking online one day, cruising Amazon. I look up one of those really common um, Cummins engine oil filters and it's selling for like $29.99. And because of our wholesale buying power, we were buying those things for like four bucks. And I started looking at all these other diesel engine parts. I thought, holy cow, what a huge discrepancy. But I didn't even know you could sell on Amazon. I thought, I'm a genius. I'm going to sell these things on eBay. (laughs) So that's all I knew. So while I'm doing these big operations, I had this little side hustle going on on the side. And I decided I'm going to sell on eBay. So I literally put out a Craigslist ad. Okay. I put out a Craigslist ad that said, I need help learning to set up an eBay storefront. I'm willing to pay somebody as a consultant. 
So some guy in the city about an hour and a half from here responds to that. And like this, if you're listening right now, I'm, I'm sorry that I'm describing you this way, but like this old bald guy walks through the door. And I was expecting like a young college kid, this old bald guy walks through and he introduced himself. And we start talking and instantly he, he was like, no, you Amazon. Holy cow, you've got so many wholesale opportunities. You got to sell on Amazon. And he was a student of the PAC course, hmm. right? So he'd been going to CES for a couple of years. He uh, was really introduced to the whole Amazon selling community through your program, Jim. Cool. So I guess, I guess in a roundabout way, I, I can say so that my Amazon guy. career... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So my Amazon career started with your education, which is kind of cool. That's neat. And within just several months, we were a seven-figure seller at pretty good margins, like 22% ROI, even wholesale. But I quickly realized that this is a great business model, but it won't be 10 years from now. And I'm too reliant on, you know, my wholesale suppliers, you know, they could start cutting me off because I'm selling on Amazon. They might not want me to. Too much Mm -hmm. competition to drop on. So I started thinking about private labeling. And Jim, I'm going to out you a little bit here because you and I have had this conversation. The term private label is not descriptive enough. The term private label is too broad, right? There's simple private label. There's there's bundling items that you can buy from wholesalers here and putting a brand on it, selling on Amazon. And there's private labeling, which is building multi-million dollar brands, you know, in huge retail stores. You know, it's, it's really wide. Yeah, so I don't want to use the term private label, but I was yeah. introduced to the concept of private label, which is, hey, we need our own products. Right. But I had a cheat sheet. I was already doing business in China. Mm. So I knew some funny stories and quirks about things like Alibaba. And I said, I'm not going down that route again. I've got some funny stories I can tell you a different day about that. But um, I, I started contacting my folks in China and I was doing research and basically just started knocking off the data and the information and the PPC you know, reports that we were getting on our wholesale. So we're actually running PPC and wholesale. And I knew what we should be able to launch as a quote unquote private label product or own brand. And man, did I make some mistakes. So we're wrapping back around to your first question, mistakes. Listen, (laughs) I have done some bonehead stuff. One of the biggest ones that I ever did was I saw this product that had a lot of velocity on Amazon, a lot of sales, and it was one of those emergency uh, window breaking hammers for your car. Okay. So I knew a lot about the automotive industry. And there was this one seller, it was a little orange uh, hammer. It had two little stainless steel points on a seatbelt cutter on the bottom, right? Yeah. And uh, he was selling just a ridiculous amount. Jungle Scout was saying he was selling like 4,500 units a month at like $1,499. Okay. So I call up my buddy in China. Hey, here's a picture. Can you find that? The next day is like, I already found the factory. It is literally the exact same product. I said, great. Send me a hundred of those. Let's test them. So he sends me a hundred and it's the same product. Why wouldn't I sell it on this other guy's listing? Right. Mm. So I sent his listing. We sold all 100 in like four hours. And I was like, Yes, victory. I showed my, my a letter. I said, <laughs> I said, dude, this is huge. We're gonna make so much money. And our cost was like 61 cents, even right. air, after air shipping. And it was like Did you cut his price? You undercut his price by like 50 cents, right? And just like by sold. like three cents, five yeah. cents. It didn't matter. That's all, yeah, right. And I bought like five thousand of those things. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> and I got him in. I was gonna be rich. And uh, so I sent in my first like one thousand to the listing. I was like, well, that'll last me several days. And immediately got the account suspended. Mm. And the problem was we were doing seven figures in wholesale on that same account. And we had several other, you know, private labels that we were launching and we're suspended and we are dead in the water. And that's when I realized the term or, or the concept of hijacking a listing. And even though my hammer was exactly like that other guys who had spent mountains of time, probably years building that listing, getting his velocity up, getting his reviews, he had a sticker on his package that I didn't. Mm-hmm. He was protected and I had not completely replicated the entire bundle. What was the sticker? It was just a little brand sticker. That's all it was with was a little trademark. Little it was his brand name with a trademark on it. That's all you know, it was. Unless you had that sticker, Amazon didn't see it as the same product. And since it was trademarked, I couldn't even legally create that sticker. Right. Yeah. yeah. So it was Beautiful awful. Lesson. Sad, sad lesson. <laughs> it was, but it was powerful because what I had to do is I had to fix things. And when you go from a seven-figure account to suspended, and you've got probably $120,000 in inventory just in wholesale sitting around, plus you've got all the stuff coming from China for all these different listings you're trying to launch, I had to really dig down deep and figure out how I was going to make this work. So learn some valuable lessons there. We were able to get unsuspended. So 
going through that process enough fun. It took like six and a half or seven weeks, but we did it. But I started realizing then, hey, this is not going to be as easy as I thought it was. It's not just loading up on a listing. Now I was tracking down why was he protected and why did he have so many sales when other people didn't? And I started learning about the optimization and the launching and all that good stuff. So basically, while we were waiting to get unsuspended, I had seven weeks to just do nothing but study how to launch a product on Amazon and study what types of products could be sold on Amazon or couldn't or what had demand or high competition versus demand with saturated competition, right? And ended up coming out of that with a lot of product ideas and a lot of them worked really, 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 really well. I just heard you say something between the lines that that should be mentioned. There you are sitting on potentially, I mean, you didn't know you were going to be reinstated. Although 95% of the time people do get reinstated. You didn't know this. And you were spending your time studying. That says a lot about a dude's character. <laughs> I mean, like <laughs> you were sitting on basically on a cliff where you didn't know. Yep. Where the, you'd been shoved off a cliff and you didn't know if the parachute was going to open. But you're, you got your book open. <laughs> well, it was, it was kind of do or die. Well, yeah. I mean, but that is an admirable character trait. That's something you got to have. Even when those really bad days, it's like, man, you know, you've seen that graph of like the entrepreneur's journey. It's like, yay, today's awesome. Why did I ever do this? I should go get it. <laughs> yeah. And like, I'm the, I'm an idiot. My wife, you know, my wife, or those people that told me I should never do this. They were right. I never should have done this. But they're like, hey, I just proved everybody wrong, right? Like, that's the journey. But yeah, but the absolutely. thing that separates, I think, those of us who who stick with it and get through each of those is what you just said. And I, that's the best visual I can come up with. Amazon shoved you off a cliff. Circumstances shoved you off a cliff. And you're like, okay, I've got a parachute here. I don't know if it's going to open, when it's going to open, when I get, when I'm supposed to use it here. I don't know. But you got your book open reading on your way down. It's like, okay, I'm going to trust. There's going to be a soft landing or this parachute's going to work. I mean, the uncertainty, you're still in there studying, learning, doing what you can do with what you got versus curling up in a ball psychologically and like rocking until it's all over. <laughs> and, and, it's great. And a lot of people can't handle that part. And there's so many entrepreneurs in our community that I love because they all, you know, basically have that same trait, which is, it's not just a stubbornness and it's not just like a, a conceited arrogance, like, Oh, I can do anything I want to. It really is really humility of, at least it was for me. Hey, I backed myself into this corner. I caused this problem myself. But now my family, my business partners, you know, my vendors, to be honest, were all relying on me because they didn't want to have to return all that stuff because they got sales commissions off of it, right? Mm -hmm. So really what happened is I loaded up this weight on me and said, all right, I have to fix this. And that's what we as entrepreneurs do. Now, there is a downside to that, which is kind of a whole other conversation about, you know, blurring the line between business and personal. And we you know, relate our personal success with our business success, which can be dangerous. And right. honestly, that's why like entrepreneurs have one of the highest rates of anxiety, um, you know, clinical anxiety. Anxiety, suicide. I mean, it, yeah, it's a real yeah. risk because we tie our identity. I think especially as males, I don't, I, I think females tend to struggle slightly less with this than the guys. Guys, we see what we do is who we are. Yeah. By yeah. Which is, it's terrible. It's a complete fallacy, but it is what it is. But one cool thing about that is as entrepreneurs, we tend to do that we tend to rise above that. You know, with the business that we have in Hickory Flats and all the, you know, the brand builders and private labelers that we work with, we see this constantly. And I now am even proactively seeing it. I'm seeing people that like come to China with us and they, they have this attitude of, hey, I'm going to find all these products to test and launch. And even if every single one of them, all I do is break even, I'm going to gain an education and I'm going to learn those lessons and I'm going to figure out what it takes. And they're playing long ball. They're saying, you know, the first six months, I might not really make any extra income, but 12 months after that and Q4 of next year, it's just going to be gangbusters. And that's really inspiring, you know, to me because I didn't recognize when I was doing it that that is a trait that we as entrepreneurs have. I was doing it for survival at the time. But now because I've been through, you know, literally one of the most stressful times in my life and came out of it and, and did extremely well on the back end of that, now I can recognize that in other people and it allows me to give them encouragement because just like I didn't see it myself as, hey, Tim, you're stronger than you think you are and you're more capable than you think you are. I see people that, I was talking to a guy yesterday who he got a listing shut down. It was best-selling listing. And he literally texted me. He's like, man, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to, this isn't for me. And I was like, dude, what are you doing? What's the problem? So I have, a, you know, user permissions as account. I looked at it and I said, 
you think that you're shut down. No, click this button in your gravy and you turn your sales back on, right? <laughs> but if I hadn't, you know, learned to recognize mm-hmm. that maybe what we see is like complete doom and gloom, isn't really doom and gloom. They just need someone to kick them in the seat of the pants and say, hey, log back in and just take care of this little issue or keep going or reset or buy a different type of product or liquidate that inventory to buy some more. You know, it, it gives me an opportunity to get to witness that over and over and over and over again, which is really, really powerful stuff as business owners, but also just as humans. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. It, it. It's why we have community, why community is so important. But to be very specific, having done this for 16 years now, and I say that like it's a big number because in internet years, it kind of is. There's You're like 92 years into this thing, Jim. It's exactly. like dog years. I'm like, I need a walker <laughs> and like, you know, bifocals at this point, man. Actually, I kind of yeah. do need glasses. I don't wear them often enough. But the lesson I want to lay out there is, man, you need the community because what you'll experience is every time, literally every single time, I can think of zero exceptions with all the thousands of people that we've coached and courses people have bought and people who, who have thought in their mind, I just hit a brick wall. That was the official game over brick wall. It's time to cash in my chips. I'm, I'm done. Every single time, if you have the right people in your life, you can come up with, and I challenge my team all the time, not just what's the solution, what are 10 options we have at this point? We have at least 10 great options forward, no matter what the challenge is. There's at least 10 rational, bright answers to move forward. And you've got to have that mindset. Because if you think, how oh, the first time I hit a wall, oh, well, this isn't for me, those are the people that fade out. Those are the people who buy course after course after course, and they'll listen to all the podcasts, they'll read all the books, but they've never made a dime. Because as soon as they hit that first little speed bump, there's a shiny object over there, and they're like, they're off over there now. But you got to be willing to go over those speed bumps, bust through, go around, destroy the walls, dig under them if you have to, take a team, take a ladder. I mean, there's a thousand ways to get through this wall, but it takes community every single time. And that to me, just to go to the biblical roots that I I, I know you rely on as well, that's why God gave us business. It's not an adventure in self-development. It's an adventure in team. It's an adventure in relationships. It's an adventure in connections. That's the secret sauce. And you can call it, you know, fairy tale or common sense or, you know, that's classic business advice, Jim. You know, to me, the, the greatest longitudinal study in all of human history is the biblical evidence that God wants us working together and cooperating. And when we fail to do that, things tend to fall apart. But when we do it, things go well. So when you hit that wall, sometimes it's a wake-up call simply saying, hey, you know, like that guy that hit the wall and called you. That was a wake up call. Hey, you need to have more of Tim in your life because these things won't be as big a challenge if you got the right people in your life and you're doing this together as a team. So that's just a lesson for those, you know, people who feel like they're hitting brick walls and they just can't do it. I would challenge you to ask yourself, am I trying to do this alone? Yeah, and your answer is yes. If you're hitting a lot of brick walls, you're trying to do it yourself. Yeah, I'd say as your business progresses, those walls won't disappear either. The walls actually get bigger. They get bigger. The problems get bigger. But yeah. what's really cool is as you learn how to manage those walls, the management actually gets easier. So it becomes easier and easier to tackle those bigger and bigger problems, which is really, really cool. And, and it's kind of a testament to the life cycle of maturity that we as entrepreneurs and humans you know, mm-hmm. go through by hitting those walls. Because if you don't learn how to break that small wall initially, you're never going to learn how to lower your shoulder and hit that bigger wall. Let, so, let me just give you, I, I'd encourage you to do this, Tim. I don't, I don't know if you've ever done this. And I want listeners do this too. I was talking to someone <clears> just a few days ago. I encouraged them to do this. We've grown way more than you realize. If you've been doing this internet business thing or any business for six months, a year, two years, three years, you've grown more than you realize. Go back into your email program, scroll back in time about a year, two years, four years, and look at the stuff that was keeping you up at night back then. It'll crack you up how small-minded, how these little challenges, you'd wake up panicked trying to deal with it, sending an email, hoping it all... And you're like, man, I, I eat, I eat those for snacks now. You know, I'm like, <laughs> really? Like, you know, someone else can handle that. That's no big deal. I've seen that before. But that's business is a constant journey into bigger giants. But you're growing too. I love that theme. But yeah, go back in time. That that's something specific that listeners could do today. Scroll back in time, even if you don't have a business, just see your personal development journey and look at the stuff that you were doing. I use a lot of email, so it works for me. Some people journal. I'm not real good at it. But for those of you who don't journal, jump back into your email or just flip back a couple of years in your journal if you, if you do journal and see like, man, I, I was pretty immature back then. I used to get freaked out over some pretty silly minor things. And know this, the big lesson is, Five years, 10 years from now, the stuff you're facing now that you think is huge, it's going to look the same way. 
it's going to look the same way. Like, really? I was worked up over that. <laughs> sure. Look where life has taken me. So yeah, just pulling a few lessons out of the theme today, but yeah, you keep it rocking, dude. Let's talk about some of your success too, because I want to make sure like, you know, okay, you, you, you failed, you hit some brick walls, you made a big buy. I'm curious how you dug out of the uh, glass break safety device too. Like, you know, did you just take the hit? Or? We just, what I did is I had to learn how to write my own listings and create my own product and create um, multi-packs of it and get my own velocity. And eventually in emergency car emergency hammers and all those other top keywords ended up getting a page one and honestly never did it with a single giveaway and single discount code, nothing. It was just great. And it took, but one of the biggest mistakes and and it's too long of a story to give you all the details. One of the biggest mistakes that I ever made in business prior to getting an e-commerce was making a six figure purchase on Alibaba, which did not go so well. But while figuring out how to fix that screw up, I ended up spending a lot of time in China learning how to source, learning how to deal with business. And what happened is, as I started learning these things about e-commerce and getting good at e-commerce, people started coming to me because I was in communities like my silent team, you know, just learning. I was, I was a, a rookie and people started coming to me and say, Hey, you know, I heard that you've got connections in China. I've heard that you're shipping stuff from China. Can you help me find this? Can I put my pallet in your container? And that turned into the service-based company Hickory Flats. Right, which so the, so the which, trying to fix the big mistakes you made formed connections yep. and turned you into an expert and <laughs> gave me a skill set that nobody else had. And gave you a I ended up, yeah, mm-hmm. having having a full time office with staff in China, which nobody at the time, well, it's still nobody, nobody has that. Nobody has you know joint offices in the U.S. and China. You know, there's people that move to China. There's people that have a buddy in China, which, you know, that can be a little bit shady sometimes. Right. So that really launched the trajectory of Hickory Flats. Then it became this just snowball rolling down the hill where we kept getting more and more involved and seeing more and more bird's eye view examples of what people were doing that didn't work and did work so that we could learn from them. And then we became the mentors. So we started being able to coach people like, um, I'm one of Jim Cochran uh, coaching programs coaches. Want right. to be coaches you, of Jim Cochran coaches. I probably should have said that at the beginning. Yeah. You yeah. So, so by, by seeing this like bird's eye view of everything that's going on with all these different clients and their businesses and helping them, it gives us a really good big picture understanding because there's a lot of people that are experts in their niche with their product, mm-hmm. but it doesn't translate to somebody else's business. So, you know, there's a lot of people you see in Facebook all the time. Hey, look at my graph. I'm a guru. Pay me $5,000. I'll help you do it with your business. But they're selling you know, a bird feeder and you've got a, you know, set of post-it notes, like your post-it note rules don't apply to the bird feeder rules. You know yeah. what I mean? Or you don't have a product yet. You know, the, the process they used to find their magic product is, you know, that, yeah. that's where we take a very low risk approach. And I love that you you guys test a lot too, in very small ways. Gosh, you don't jump in. You know, there's no one who's ever taken advice from our community or our team and our coaches who's ended up with a garage full of stuff they can't sell. We've never taken someone down that path, but literally every other organization that I'm aware of is cranking out those failure stories. Involved. Yes. Uh, so another shout out to your teaching, the PPI course was transformative in our business because we were actually trying to do something similar to it already, testing with PPC, but we didn't, you know, we weren't real um, intentional about it and we didn't really have all the pieces together. And what we started doing was just buying stuff in small order quantities, which leads to, you know, the process we use in EWU. And I can tell you that in the past three weeks, we have launched somewhere between 25 and 30 brand new products on Amazon. Now, here's the thing. We're launching those. They're not products that are already on Amazon. And we're launching them all with only 30 to 60 units, right? So where some people are taking $8,000 and making a 3,000 unit purchase off Alibaba and roll the dice, now, it's a lot of work to launch that many listings, to run that many campaigns, and we're spending thousands a week in PPC just gathering data, and, and the packaging is a nightmare, and the shipping is a nightmare. But out of those 25 or 30, because we're really good at what we do, we'll probably have probably 15 to 18 of those SKUs that will be listed for the next three, four, five years, right? That's awesome. But we're doing that because we know how to get that data. Yeah. So, you know, like you said, testing. Testing is so important, folks. And if you're too worried about success or failure, and, and that's keeping you from taking that step of launching your first product to try and launch your first brand, it may be because one of two things. One, you're not using enough information and teaching to help you validate your idea is good. And you're getting in your own head and saying, I can't do this. I get this. When you may know exactly what to do, you just got to do it. 
or you're too afraid to test. And the failures of a test are not actually failures. They're just validation that this is not a product to continue with. And it's good education for you on what to avoid next time when you're getting your idea generating process going, right? So every failure that we have in a product, we still sell out and we'll get our money back on them. It's just not going to be a huge success. We deem it as a quote unquote failure. But now we know mountains of information we didn't know going into that and we can streamline our process. And now you get to the point where like we're doing, we're launching, you know, 10, 15 products a week right now. It's ridiculous. That's awesome. Let me fill in a couple gaps. I always like to listen to these episodes with guests, Tim, from a vantage point of someone who's brand new. So I want to do a little housekeeping for a second because you dropped some words and some acronyms (laughs) and things that I just want to make sure like no one's thinking, okay, wait, they just went over my head. I don't know what that acronym means. So I'm going to fill in some gaps uh, for the listeners because you just laid down a brilliant path that is not complicated. There's nothing rocket science-y about this. You don't need a business degree. So you said uh, one, of the, one of the phrases you use is PPC. That's pay-per-click. That's paying per click for advertising. You guys have heard of that, right? But the strategy inside the Proven Amazon course, that's the course that our community has built, our team has built that teaches literally every aspect of succeeding on Amazon. Inside of that course is a PPI, Proven Performance Inventory module, PPI, where basically we teach you how to buy small quantities and test keywords and discover gold mines. And that can lead to your own private label brands. It's a very systematic way to test. It's the way that Brett's team every day, we've got them in there plugging away, finding new, finding, we call them golden gaps. And it's part of the Proven Amazon course. It teaches you how to stop guessing. We call it the only way we're aware of to get Amazon to tell you exactly what people are shopping for, but they can't find. It's and the only way we're aware of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And your competition. And, yes. and like even when my coaching students, they understand the idea of the impressions. But to us, and maybe this is a little bit different in the way that we use the strategies, our most valuable piece of insight from that PPI process is the cost per click. And we actually have this whole kind of graph built out based on category to know how much we're having to pay for a click. And that tells us how heavy our competition is on those keywords. Absolutely. Because the golden gap is that keyword that you can buy where there's people searching for that all day, every day. But you can buy that click for pennies and drive to whatever product. So you don't start off trying to market a product. You start off looking for a a low price, exciting keyword that that no one's buying right now and you find a product to match it. That's a lot of the strategy. And you mentioned Ewu too, which many people may not know that's a city in China when you go to source. And on that note, there's a couple great webinars that you guys did recently. I'll, I'll link to them in the show notes. Uh, Hickory Flats goes to China and to Guatemala frequently. And they put together a webinar on what strategies, there's different strategies for each country. And we don't really have a whole lot of time to dive into it because you guys dove into it did an excellent job. We got great feedback. I'll link to both of those. They're posted in our Facebook group for the listeners. So you can you know, think, do I want to take a trip with these guys to China? Maybe go to Guatemala and, and source some products using their creative strategies that, that they've developed over time. Because um, you guys are really doing some powerful stuff right now. So I, I'm excited to tell that, to share that with folks. But we don't really have a whole lot of time to dive into that as we start to, as we start to wrap this one up. But you know, maybe you could hit on it briefly because I'm sure I didn't do do a service. You've got a thousand things I'm sure you'd Yeah, learned. just, well, I'll, I'll give the really short tell people to get them to encourage them to watch those webinars. Like what can they expect? Um, listen, there's content in there that really no other communities are talking about. And it's content that is unique to what myself, and my business partners have found because we started doing some kind of cutting edge things when it comes to sourcing. We were bold. We got on planes. I spent hundreds of hours in plane seats that I didn't find any good products from and I learned mistakes. So Iwu is a city that literally has one of the biggest single roof markets in the world. Millions of products, over 100,000 vendors on one roof. And I went there several trips before I figured out how to make it work. And we created this entire tactic of like the PPI and pre-purchase validation and all this stuff. And we now take clients there. We had an MST community member that went this past March Hadn't been on a plane since like pre 9-11, scared to death of flying. I can't go to China, but we have everything taken care of. It's all like all inclusive. We cover transportation and meals and hotels and everything. So you just show up. She walked out of the market with over 800 product ideas. 
800 product ideas. And then we have a method that we show where we actually validate and you buy small orders. I think she's bought tests of like 300 of those SKUs. Mm. And this Q4 has been huge for her based on just the amount that she found in Ewu and she continues to source from there. So that was one of those, you know, a, a mistake that I made, you know, trying to figure out how to source, trying to making those big mistakes led to it, one mistake was the first time I went to EWU, I didn't have the right mindset or the right training to go in, but it led to this ability to figure out a system that now like three times a year, we take groups over there and we teach them and we walk them through the process, and we handhold them through it. And now they can learn from our mistakes, which is really, really cool. Oh, that's fantastic. You know, all these pieces kind of add together slowly. Uh, to form, they, they turn you into an opportunity-seeking you know, machine. You can recognize and filter the world around you and see opportunity. Like I saw, and uh, this may seem like kind of a random place to go, but I saw a multi-million dollar idea on Facebook the other day. It was a simple concept and it had taken off and the people didn't even realize why it had taken off. But knowing what I know about my connections in China and knowing what I know about, you know, the proven audience formula strategies that we talk about around here where, you know, we look for shareable stories and shareable content before we look for a product. Like if it's shareable, like I saw a video of a toy being demonstrated. Someone shot this video. They were on a China trip, not with you guys or somebody. It's like, Oh, that's a cool, funny toy. I'm like goldmine. If, if that's not, if that's not in the, in the mainstream, it's a goldmine because it's a very shareable, easy to share. And you guys are doing some of this in Guatemala too. You're sharing like the story behind the products. You got a shareable toy, a shareable concept, something you can capture very candidly on video, put it on Facebook, test it for $20, $30 of ads. If it starts to resonate and spread, we've gotten pretty good at detecting which ones will and won't. And we've got the eight-figure business to prove that we're getting pretty good at it. Uh, you know, you start to develop that mindset. There's, you're eliminating risk from the process. Yep. So you're testing very small quantities and you're... you're Winners are spiking and very easily picked out and you, you're not writing big checks and hoping it works. You're testing in small ways. So we finally figured out how to do China and Guatemala from that vantage point. You're not writing a $100,000 check and then hoping that it doesn't all end up in your garage. Yep. 20 of this, 30 of that, based on some pretty educated guesses and you get good at identifying winners. So I, I love, you guys are kind of that missing piece uh, that we've been looking for, someone that we could partner up with and take these trips. Uh, and kind of represent our strategies and, and our culture very well, which you guys are doing. So, uh, yeah, so what am I leaving out? Give me four minutes to talk about Guatemala Dude. in context of what we're doing. Yeah. So Dynasty Toys, the first viral video or video with you know a million views or whatever on Facebook, didn't become that way because of the toy. It became no. that way because of the story of the, the story, the reaction, the experience. So, so what we figured out, I have a heart for Central America and for the Caribbean. I've been doing mission work there since I was early on in college. And what I noticed were some brands like Tom's Shoes, people like that, that were selling a product based off of a story. Mm -hmm. So it took me several years and that's, you can watch that webinar and Jim will link to the webinar, exactly how we went through that process and the processes we use. But what we found out is that by telling a story of artisans and or telling a story of the consumers. So if you make a consumer the hero, if you empower the consumer of your product, just like Tom's Shoes does, it's wildly, wildly powerful. So what we did was, it took us years to do it, but we set up a business in Central America. It didn't tell a soul. We'd set it up in Guatemala. It was not public. Nobody knew about it. And what we started doing was engaging artisans, figuring out how to build that system up, how to ethically, responsibly uh, source where it's advantageous to the artisans and the producers, as well as us as a business. And then once we figured that out, uh, we were doing some crazy stuff. Like we were launching products that would get on page one pretty quickly in a competitive term at three times the price of everybody else on page one. And then Instagram is like blowing up with our stuff and we're not doing anything. It's just happening because we put a story there and people resonated with it and want to build it. And then we started opening it up to other clients. We're working on a multi-million dollar leather project right now that might not even be on Amazon. They've already got sales reps taking pre-orders right now. It's taken six months to pull this off, but it's like 61 different leather products, very high-end stuff. And Forbes is already talking about it. It's crazy. But now we've started, uh, we started uh, earlier this year taking groups down in Guatemala. And it's very different than China. China, you learn a whole set of skills and you learn one tactic. We actually have MST members that have been to Guatemala and China and talked about how different they are. But what we do in Guatemala is teach you how to build, like what Jim talks about, build a story around your product to create a brand. Because your brand needs more than just products. It also needs its own you know, avatar. It needs its own story. It needs its own purpose. 
And when you build out a business with a brand and products that complement each other, it's just wildly powerful. So we take people down there and we introduce you to artisans. We introduce you to suppliers. We introduce you to concepts, to training principles, to validation and testing principles, but also to the idea of being a good citizen as well as a good businessman or businesswoman, which is massively, massively powerful. Jim, I know you saw some pictures um, from our last Guatemala trip and you sent back a picture. You said, hey, this is on my wall. It's the same like Catholic church yeah, in Antigua, here, right? In our old stomping it, grounds. Yeah, we lived in yeah. country for 100 days and you guys were covering a lot of the same footsteps yeah. that we covered when we were adopting our daughter. But, in, but the I'm reason that you had that, thinking. yeah, the reason you had that picture is that emotional connection that you had, right? Mm-hmm. So exactly. if we can blend emotion, which is our own emotion, but also the emotion of our consumers, people mm-hmm. that purchase our products with really good business that sustains and makes it possible for these artisans and producers to continue the legacy of their families and increase the position of the community, as well as us build businesses too. It's wildly, wildly powerful. And that's why these have gotten to be so popular, you know, coming out of Guatemala with us and sourcing in third world underdeveloped countries kind of all over the world. That's beautiful. You know, it's, it's occurring to me, you know, story is a very popular phrase and I, I love it. I, I mean, teach, I love the book story brand and, and I've learned a ton from that, but at the end of the day, it's relationship. What makes something shareable on Facebook? It's when I think to myself, oh, I know exactly who would think that's hilarious. I know exactly yeah. who would love to see this. If you create a story that gets people thinking that way, relationship building, that's what shareable is. It's, hey, here's something that could build relationships with people that you know. So you're, you're filming the artist and making the product. You're filming the experience the customer has when they receive it. And that turns into something that people want to share. Like, I can see how my life my relationships would benefit from, you know, maybe it's a funny moment. Like, you know, if you haven't seen it yet, listener, look up the wonky donkey video. It's hilarious. Wonky donkey, best-selling book on Amazon because some grandma in Ireland read it to her baby that's her granddaughter or grandson that's too young to even understand what's going on. Just giving her silly looks like, why are you laughing your head off at this? (laughs) I mean, I don't use the word often, but it's kind of stupid, <laughs> but it's hilarious. <laughs> the accent, the moment, the family, it's like, oh, you know, I want a grandma like that kind of moment or like, oh, I know someone who's like, you got to see this. It's so funny. If you can create that moment, shout with a cell phone, you could be sitting on a multi-million dollar opportunity yep. and you get these unique products. It's the, man, it's the golden goose of opportunity where suddenly, you know, guys like us are really sending the big major brands kind of running scared. Like, how do we compete with these guys? Like, we got to get feet on the street. We got to create genuine experiences. You don't get that from a TV commercial. It's all slick and polished. You know, there's no relationship building there. I can't share that. But you create these real life moments that people can share. Oh, it's so powerful. And I see us really going strong in that direction. And we've proven it. You've got a multi-million dollar business. We've got a multi-million dollar business. That's where we're excited. Shareable content, stories, relationships. Absolutely. It's, it's like the perfect time for guerrilla marketing because it's not just guerrilla marketing that we're doing. It's the world wants that guerrilla marketing. Like they'd rather have a cool story that's not as polished on their Facebook feed mm-hmm. as opposed to a you know, $7 million Super Bowl commercial. Yep. They're doing business with someone they know, like, and trust. And they yep. discovered that in a matter of moments because of your content. That's beautiful, man. Well, I think this is a powerful episode, dude. Uh, I think people are really going to enjoy it. I think they're going to want to hear back from you in the near future, hear what's going on more updates. Um, I really want to encourage folks, hey, whether you're watching this on YouTube or if you're listening to it on whatever platform, go to the show notes and look for, a, there's a couple links. There's two webinars that we did with, with Hickory Flats. Tim was on there with his partner, JB, who you've heard from on this podcast recently as well. But they talk about the China trip, the Guatemala trip. And more importantly, even if you have no intention whatsoever of going to either of those places ever in your life, just really beautiful strategies that apply to any of us. So jump in if you've enjoyed this today. You want to get into more specific strategies from from Tim and JB uh, with Hickory Flats, man. They really laid it out. They did a great job. It's the kind of content that we arguably could and like a lot of the stuff we do around here, we should be charging money for, but we just don't. Our Facebook group's free. The webinars are free. If you want to go to China, you have to pay pay a little bit of money, but very valuable trip to take. You guys get raving feedback, which is the reason we partnered up with you on this. But Hey, thanks for being here today, man. I really appreciate it. Any final shout outs to the community or anything you want to throw in before we, before we land this plane? No, I, I, guess, uh, I guess the final thing would be just keep going, whether you're a very, very brand new rookie beginner into this thing or you're a seasoned vet. Um, if you're standing still, you're not moving forward. Just keep pushing and lean. Uh, you know, Jim said it, said it already, the relationships. 
lean on people. You know, one of the first mistakes that I mentioned in my business, not taking on business partners, trying to do it on myself. How stupid was that? Because, you know, um, it really, really quick, look up the story of Jack Ma. Look at how Jack Ma started Alibaba. He knew nothing about computers. He knew nothing about coding. And he brought in like 32 people into an apartment somewhere in Shanghai and or in China, south of Shanghai and said, I don't know anything, but I have a vision. I'll give all of you equity to help build this thing. And they built, it's right now the largest e-commerce conglomerate in the world. It's bigger than Amazon, Alibaba is. And he only owns like 6% of it. And all the owners are, other owners are billionaires. So not just partnering with other people, but lean on the community, lean on your friends, lean on a stranger on Facebook that looks like they might be willing to help you. And they will help you punch through those walls and make you better at punching through them yourself so you can keep tackling bigger and bigger ones as your business grows and as you develop as a person. You know, you you made me think of something too, that as, as we wrap this one up, one of the features that I love about our Facebook group is we have a map and this is a free feature. You can jump on there, stick a pin in our map. And when you do, you can see who else in our community happens to live near you and business building warriors getting together and doing projects together. Man, it's powerful stuff. Don't make the mistake of thinking because it's an internet business. It's just you and a glowing keyboard figuring this out. That's not how it works. Nope. Lone wolves do not survive in this business. They just don't. I've seen them flame out for years. People who partner up, with, even with limited skill sets, people who partner up and build relationships, they thrive, they last, they survive, they build something special. So that's a great way, to, great way to end this episode. Uh, so all the links we talked about today, hey, we're going to have a bunch of good stuff in the show notes. So be sure and check that out. Spread the word. If you want to help us out, just say, hey, go listen to the, go to silentgym.com. Go check out that podcast. That's good stuff. Encourage. Because we think the world needs more business building warriors. The world needs more entrepreneurial thinkers. And it's such a great time to be launching an internet-based business. And we want to be the ones that are feeding you the great content and ideas and encouragement. So thanks for hanging out with us today. And this is Silent Sales Machine Radio. Again, my name is Jim Cochran. Today, we had Tim Jordan with us doing a great job for us representing Hickory Flats. But hey, God bless you guys, business building warriors from all over the world. We have listeners globally. We're just so honored that you spent some time with us today. We'll be back to do this again real soon. God bless. Thank you for listening to Silent Sales Machine Radio. Visit silentgym.com for a link to our free newsletter, our free Facebook group, and all of our resources mentioned on today's show.